0: Welcome back, everybody. We have another exciting chapter of the book of Jonah. Um, but before we get in and dive in, I wanted to bring up a little bit of a story of uh, how amazing my two weeks have been. Uh, we just talked with the guys about a time where a bunch of things were being very difficult. Uh, I wanted to share that to kind of open up our our chapter today. It's It started with... Uh, one of my main workers for my business, him getting into a car accident after I have basically scheduled up this very busy week for him. Um, We had all these great plans. And then I find out Sunday night while youth was over our house, hey, did you know Mike got into a car accident? And I'm like, please tell me it's not the Mike that works for me. And yeah, it was the Mike that works for me. So uh, well, Good good news is he. I called him that same night, and I made sure he was good, and I told him, hey, don't worry about me. Don't worry about whatever we got going on. Just rest up, get better. Um, I was thankful to hear that his brother was also better. So apparently they were driving, and according to him, some guy in a bike ran an intersection and crashed right into him. And they said that the guy in a bike survived. Everybody survived, um, thank God. But he said that the guy in a bike was like, vomiting on his car and there was pills in his system and stuff like that so there's a whole bunch of details but um thankfully they were all good nothing but a bruised wrist and he was like hey i'm ready to get back to work this week i'm like no man you need to you need to take a week off (laughs) he's committed (laughs) it was a little bit of him needs to rest and i i'm not sure if i wanted him driving my truck with a big trailer anymore i was like hey you need to you need to you know so the
1: crash happened in, in his own car yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's card? got this s-
0: speedy, nice white Mercedes. Mm. It doesn't exist anymore, though. Um, was it total? Yeah. Oh, it was really? bad. Mm. Wow. So, but thankfully, he was good. And my, one of my things was like, I was like, hey, I don't know if I want you going to work. You want to go, but what if your mom doesn't want you to go? You know, you, she's just, all of you guys have been through this tough experience. Um, but he's like, no. She won't She won't be mad. It's all good. And I'm like, just take a week off, and then we'll talk next week. So so it started with that. Um, the reason it was difficult for me is because now I had to go, I had to actually go out and do all the work. Um, and then after that, my air conditioning, for the third time, has
2: died. Uh, really hot in the house. The baby's, crying. The baby's just, crying. Don't you just hate it when things randomly break for no apparent reason? Yeah. Well...
1: Or when you can't, don't use the right tools for the right job. We
0: can't, we can't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't say that it was no for over. It was, it was a lot of self-inflicted damage. damage. Um, but upon that, things were starting to stack up and my kid, my kid's got teeth coming out. So he's crying nonstop. And then it's 85 degrees in the house. My wife is like, Hey, when are you going to fix this issue? And I'm like, I have a lot of issues I gotta <laughs> fix right now. <laughs> So then I had also a a very, very busy work week at my actual job. Um, And during the night, sometimes when you're sitting there and when I go to my actual job, that's like my resting place from everything else because it's a nice air conditioned office and I'm sitting there focused on one thing. But even even that job was airplanes are breaking left and right. And I'm having to sit there, you know, till late in the morning every day. And I guess I guess all these things are piling up. And one thing. Uh, that kind of paused me is I realized I am focusing on all these problems going on in my life and how to fix them, and I need to be focused on. I need to. I need some scripture. I need some socializing with the church. I need to pretty much just get my mind off what's going on. Um, it was a lesson for me because you focus on, hey, I'm gonna fix this this way. I'm gonna get rid of this. I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna call here. But you're not thinking of, hey, maybe I need to stop and pray and ask God's assistance, but at the same time, focus on the lessons, you know, a sermon, focus on the podcast and things that I have to plan for, things that I have to read up on. And I just craved the word. And it it very, very rarely happens in my life. I don't know if it's because I'm always, you know, trying to read every day, but for some reason, the craving was there. And I just, I said, I'm stopping everything. I'm going to read some Bible and I prayed and I was like, "God, I really need you right now." And you know, we have these moments and fortunately, it was nothing terrible. Like I was kind of mentioning to you guys earlier, it's not like somebody really got hurt in my family or something was wrong with my child. It was just it was just earthly things, but sometimes earthly things can pile up and stress you out. And uh, I needed a pause. So so it was it was it was awesome to go to church Sunday morning and I never felt happier being anywhere else. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I'll take this church service right now over any Mexico, Europe, anything like that. I was like, I just want to be here with, and just listening to the scripture. So it's
1: interesting you say that because like during this um, past week, I was preparing for a, uh, a lighthouse night or pretty much like for us in, in our youth ministry sense for our church. That means that someone Um, Pretty much almost anyone can prepare an evening for the youth where they uh, host the evening. They get about, our evenings are usually about 40 minutes long, 40 minutes to an hour where we have worship, we have some fellowship where people can converse, and then there is usually some kind of, I don't want to say sermon, but sharing of the word or uh, a game night, um, like a Bible Jeopardy thing, or we have like a tea party and we have like a pastor night come over. But this past Sunday was my turn, and um, I did... Uh, my topic was false teachers, and what well you know I wanted to engage the youth in thinking or trying to um see what what do they think is a false teacher right and it's something that's not really preached upon often in our church, and i was kind of compelled to you know say something about that I was very Uh, surface type because, you know, I don't, you don't really get a lot of time to go into a whole lot of detail. And the two, you know, examples I brought up are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. But for example, but what really kind of interesting thing I noticed for myself as I was preparing for this is that, like you mentioned, is like you have this urge to be in scripture and to listen to God's word. And, you know, it's like when you read on a daily basis, you know, during your for for the most part during your normal routine when you read scriptures is one thing, but when you have to prepare for something, you know you put in that extra time, that extra dedication, thought process, and searching and researching and learning and everything, and that whole thing it just it just kind of almost makes you that much more alive, you know, and it's just a really really good fulfilling feeling, and especially when after you know you you do your talk and you do your lesson or you, you know your lighthouse and people come up to you and actually tell you, like, you know, that they got something out of it, that's, that's you know, that's like the cherry on top. Not because I did such a good job, but, you know, because pray, all, all praise and glory goes to God, but because I was able to, that God was able to use me to speak to this person and teach them something spiritual. That's all I had to share.
2: Um, I think what's important for me, uh, just from listening from both of yours example, examples um is the fact that you guys mentioned that um being in the being in the word was not in search of an answer you know how sometimes life is stressful and uh people ask god why you know and so they start jumping into the word and they start looking for it and they're looking for peace because there's turmoil on their heart um but i think what's amazing is that what you guys both mentioned is that um, you guys knew where peace was, and you knew where solace was. Where, where solace was, it was. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't stressful to go into the word, but it was like you knew that if you were to do there, you would just be relieved. Um, and uh, one one passage that came to mind when you guys were talking was in the very first Psalm, uh, chapter one, obviously first one, uh, verses one and one one through three. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoff, seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So meditating in the law of the world, word, law of the Lord, is a delight. And uh, I thought that was awesome and how... Both of you guys were experiencing that. Um, and I didn't have anything crazy or anything stressful going on this past week or two, so... Stava. Amen to that. Must be nice to be Mark. Yeah, it is kind of nice, actually.
1: Не всегда так будет.
2: I know, believe me.
0: Well, that kind of brings us to uh, a point where we want to dive into a little bit of jonah um you think? He, he had a, he seemed like Jonah seemed like he had a lot more difficult time than uh, you think he was stressed I think he was pretty stressed I think just reading again, going back to chapter two and d- describing where he was, what kind of surrounding he was is he just came from a tough time um, but he realizes what is intended of him and he, we, we will read in chapter 3 a little bit of uh, what happens next. Mark, you want to read the, uh, the 10 verses
2: of chapter 3? Sure. Uh, Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it.
0: I want to touch back on uh, chapter 1. Just these first couple of verses. verses, we just see the difference uh, of what Noah does. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah not Jonah, Noah. Jonah, sorry. Uh, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of saying arise go to Nineveh a great city and cry against it for their wickedness came up verse 3 but Jonah rose up and fleed unto Tarshish but chapter 3 again the word of the Lord came on to Jonah a second time arise go to Nineveh the great city and preach to the preaching that I bid thee so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh it's just an interesting comparison uh, how Jonah reacts Compared to how he reacted the first time, running away from God, um, I wanted to touch a little bit of on on why why did we we talked about this in in a couple podcast podcasts ago, but why did Jonah
2: run away? Do you guys remember I think the answer is in chapter four, but
1: we're not there yet. I think we briefly touched upon the part well if you just i think I mentioned it. On our first recording, just when I was given some um, contextual details about what Nineveh was, why it was such an important city, and one thing it was, it was uh, about to become, if not already, the capital of Assyria, which was an enemy to Israel, and um, they were very much pagan worshippers, and you know they did a lot of evil to Israel, and so for the most part, Jonah just didn't believe like they deserved salvation or forgiveness if you would put it in just kind of very simple, basic terms. I don't want to do too much foreshadowing into chapter 4, but I think that's pretty much what we agreed upon. And Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, I guess we can't give an answer yet, but I think we can give uh, some sort of a reason. Uh, and kind of going back to what you said, I think Jonah, Jonah was kind of fearing that the Lord will relent and not yeah. and not punish this, the Assyrians who lived, or Ninevites at that time who lived in Nineveh. He, he had this sort of hate towards them. And, and again, Mark was right. I don't want to get into, to it in too much because in chapter four, it talks about that, why he was so angry, but um, just wanted to bring up that this time Jonah arose and, and he went to Nineveh.
2: He, he was ready to go do what he needed to do. Verse 1 begins with, then the word of the Lord. So when do you guys think that this actually happened? Do you think the moment Jonah got um, vomited out onto dry land, the word of the Lord came to him immediately and he got up? Because it's like, you know, he gets vomited out. And then is he laying that God says, arise? Or what exactly is going on?
0: It's kind of interesting. First thing, first thought that comes to my head is, well, what's the verse above it say? Right? Um, it just says that the Lord spake unto the fish, and this fish vomited Jonah out on dry land, and that's kind of how it goes to the next chapter. But
1: I would assume he Never. probably cleaned himself up a little bit before, you know, heading out. But I, th- I mean, obviously, it came. Af- it, it seems like it definitely came after he was sped out to the on land, but. Yeah, the fact that he arose, it could be the fact he was laying on the ground or he could have been just resting after all this just happened, you know, a day or two or something like just kind of recuperating, getting his strength back. And then God's like, okay, enough resting. Go and do what I told you to do. But Plus, it that,
0: says it says that the journey was three days of us. So wherever he was he was still a journey away from Nineveh.
1: Well, if you look, if you look at the map, remember he said- Oh, not two. Is it
0: not two Nineveh, right? The, the Nineveh so big that it's three days. That's, yeah, Nineveh yeah, so I, big that's it's three that.
1: Nineveh was about 350 miles or so northeast of uh, Jerusalem. So it was way more inland, northeast. Yeah, I looked this up before going. Before, um, It was not near the sea where Job, Joppa was. So he, if, if he was anywhere, sped out anywhere on the banks of that sea, it would have been definitely more than a three-day's journey. So he was pretty far out from Nineveh.
2: Sorry, I'm, I was laughing. Um, yeah, it was definitely far. And I think one, one interesting thing, too, is we don't know exactly where the uh, fish dropped off. No, no. Jonah, sorry. I was thinking Noah. You and your Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Um, <laughs> there's a gnaw in there. Like, that. you know, when watching the VeggieTales movie, I always thought that he was right outside the city. You know, he got spit out right outside the city. But we, like you said, uh, we know that Nineveh was actually inland, um, and we don't know exactly where Jonah was. It's, I was thinking, um, because I was reading, there's actually three times that it's mentioned Arise, um, to Jonah. And I was thinking if, if we think, and if we think that he was resting at this time, he must've been a really lazy man because the first time it says arises in the very beginning of chapter one. And then the second time we see it, I was just reading through it, um, was when he was in the ship sleeping and the captain comes up to him and says, what do you mean you sleeper arise? And so I was just thinking, you know, if it's the third time, I, I think the term arise could also mean like, um, if he, uh, had like a, permanent or maybe even a temporary dwelling place where he was residing, not constantly on the move. Arise means, you know, to gird yourself up, to get ready, and then to go. It's not necessarily that he was laying down or sitting or something like that. It literally means, you know, get yourself ready and get going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it could have been, um, chapter three in the beginning, it could apply where um, it was almost immediately after, or there could have actually been a little time uh, that past where, you know, he cleaned himself up. He uh, maybe even went, traveled back home, and God told him, called out to him again, arise. So it's, there's no uh, indication, but what we do know is that God calls, it's interesting too that it's the second, it's the second time that God speaks um, in the book of Jonah. Um, the first time was the very first verse in chapter one, or the second verse in chapter one, and then here too, second verse in chapter three.
1: that's a very good point you brought up we
2: do know
0: for sure that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh this time Mm -hmm.
2: and it's also interesting because God we don't see the full conversation with uh God and Jonah because he says um and call out against it the message that I tell you um we later learn what the message is in verse four but uh it's interesting to note that too, because we don't get the full conversation between God and Jonah.
1: Yeah.
0: So he, uh, he enters the city in verse 4, and he travels about a day's journey. And then he cried and said, yet 40 days
2: and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What is a day's journey? Have you guys thought about that or done some research? Uh, I didn't
1: research that specific... Uh, detail what is a day's journey? Um, what I did come to find out was that Nineveh was supposedly about eighteen to nineteen hundred acres in terms of like size land, and um, you know it definitely does not take three days to walk that much, um, or in terms of circumference, or just going through it, you know, in a straight line. Um, when he when it says that it was a three days journey in breadth, uh, if I'm correct. From my from my findings, usually it means like to go throughout all the nooks and crannies of the city, you know, up and down all the streets. It would take you know about three days to do that in Nineveh.
0: Could it mean? Could it mean on the first day?
2: Um, It's interesting too, because going back to the the first day, um, the Sabbath a Sabbath first day or a Sabbath day's journey is two thousand cubits, so it's about three quarters of a mile if you just look at it from the Old Testament. So we know that, and then I was looking online, and it says like a day's journey is like 20 miles average mm-hmm. if you just walk nonstop. But obviously, if you look at, you know, the time of when a uh, day began within the Jewish culture, you know, who knows, it could be 5, 10 miles that they would actually walk in a day's journey. Um, it's interesting, too, because I, I always thought that the the breadth of the city meant, um, I still think, it, you know, it means like the, the width, width of it how wide it was, but I always thought it was between the walls. Um, and then just looking at, for instance, Charlotte, we have downtown, which could be considered you know, the actual city, but the, the actual charlotte city exceeds past that into suburbs, and would that maybe include then farm fields outside the city, or would that be, or would you guys think that it was specifically within city walls that it was three days journey? <laughs>
1: if you refer to all the cartoons we watched growing up, is definitely all inside the city walls. All the vegetables. <laughs> all the super Kniga and everything super book. But, I mean, I he, don't know. It's hard to say. It's not something I look into, so I don't want to give a definite answer. He was answer, definitely
0: in Nineveh.
1: I know mm-hmm. all the important parts of the city were definitely inside the walls, and I'm pretty sure that's probably where he was preaching.
2: So he went days into the journey, so he didn't even go halfway through initially, right? Um, At least here it says he began to go into the city. So maybe he continued to walk through the city throughout his time there? Or do you guys think that he just went one day?
1: I think he obviously continued um, until he probably went through all the parts of the city that he could. I don't think he just did as much as he could in one day and then waited for the other 39.
0: I can tell you that Jonah was very direct to the point.
1: Yeah, no sugarcoating.
0: These s- seven words. If you think, if you think about it, in these
1: N- no, no icebreaker introduction. No, in these no seven sharing words. of personal experiences.
0: And here's kind of here's kind of where I was going just after these four verses. Um, thinking about just you know the simple sentence that he said in forty days, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And through that, thousands of people realized something's going to happen. We need to change our ways. And I was kind of thinking about that to, to ask myself, um, who, who was behind or what is the explanation of the conversion that happened there? Was it, was, it, was it him saying that Nineveh shall be overthrown? Or what was behind? What was the motive? Or how did that, those simple words affect thousands of people. And, and it's also interesting, I don't want to get too far ahead into verse five and six, but it says that, so the people of Nineveh believed God. We know that people is mentioned first and then the king. Usually when the king, the ruler of you know the city, uh, when he understands something or he gets affected by something, then usually the people will follow. But here the people didn't even regard what the king was thinking at the moment. They they believed God, that's kind of how I see it, is the people first. And what in those words really motivated?
1: Well, I mean, I guess I think we we mentioned, just to kind of point out verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to them to the least of them. And if you continue reading on through verse 6 and 7, this is already when the word reached the king. Uh, Verse 7 says, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything, pretty much a fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. So they
0: were touched so much that it wasn't just them repenting, it was we need to we need to do certain things. They, they were put into action. They actually went and did things. It wasn't just a thought that yeah, went through their it head.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree. But I think um, just to backtrack a little bit to the point you were saying about people first and the king, um, I think obviously Jonah probably started, I'm, I'm, I assume Jonah probably started preaching on the city streets and first. Maybe the people heard it first. Yeah, they heard it first. But the actual fasting, it says they called for a fast. It seems like that's more like a general uh, umbrella sense that this is like, it's not, you know how we mentioned several times where, um, in the Hebrew way of writing is that the first kind of chapter or several verses, they write kind of like the overall umbrella story. And then the next chapter, they kind of go back and start talking about details. And that's what I feel like verses six, seven, and eight kind of are, um, going back to verses you know, verse five, that verse five is kind of like the, um, general, um, actions that the city took, but what led to those actions is obviously Jonah preaching and the king issuing a
2: proclamation what led to the fast and the sackcloth. That's what I want to say. Um, I think it could be either or. Uh, it's interesting because we did mention this before, and um, verse 6 doesn't begin saying, then the word of the Lord. Ro- then the word reached the king of Nineveh begins saying the, the word reached, word. yeah. Um, So I think it could be one or the other. One thing that we do understand is that everybody was in unison. It wasn't just the king that heard this and was scared. Um, Because even in his proclamation, it says, um, by the decree of the king and his nobles. So if you look at and his nobles, so it wasn't just the king, it was the nobles as well, Um, as well as I believe uh, the fact that the, the word came to the king, there was a sense of urgency to it. It wasn't Jonah that stood before the king himself right? Um, It was passed on to him by the people that heard it. Maybe, maybe not. So I
1: have a question. I'll just go in a little bit further on.
2: What, what,
1: how did they know to specifically fast and put on sackcloth? Do you think Jonah preached more than just those seven words?
0: Because we are talking about a a people, a, a, a group of people, a nation that was very, very evil. This wasn't this wasn't, you know, a, a part of the Israelites or something. These no, guys, this was very far from these the These guys were completely 180 degrees backwards of uh, being anywhere close to God's people. So it's... Pretty well, I'm weird.
1: not talking about just about spiritual, you know, cultural sense. I'm talking about like they, they like, uh, geographically, they weren't near Israel, right? This is not a place where Israel just, you know, traveled to for trade or for whatever. This is... You know, it's 350 miles or so in terms of distance, driving, traveling through desert and mountains. But I'm just wondering, like, you know, what compelled these people to specifically fast, put on sackcloth? And then interestingly, the king says in verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So it sounds like they it sounds like they knew a little bit about God before Jonah to me, unless Jonah actually told them what to do.
2: Yeah, if you look, I think one thing that's interesting to me, uh, we've mentioned it again, his message was very straightforward, um, and I wanted to compare it to, like, what we've been taught as far as when we are sharing the Word with um, other people, Uh, first to point out the sin, um, and then to talk about God's judgment and punishment for that sin, and then third, to talk about Christ and to say that if you do repent, um, there is no, uh, I mean, that... If you do repent, God will relent from His punishment. And he will forgive you, right? So the first and third part are missing in Jonah's message. All he has is wrath. He doesn't even mention that they did something wrong. He just comes in and says, "It's gonna burn." See ya. Um, and then, kind of what's interesting is what Serge pointed out too is how did they how did they know? And one other thing too is what um, it says here uh, in verse eight: the king and his uh, nobles. Um, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So to turn away from his evil ways and from the violence, um, and as well as to talk about the sackcloth and ash and about fasting. And, um, I, one thing I think that's interesting is that sackcloth and ash may have been, uh, a Middle Eastern kind of an understanding, you know, to humble yourself before, um, a deity, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. I've just come to that kind of understanding. Uh, I haven't done too much research into it. Uh, but I think it's interesting that you've mentioned it, that God here himself is mentioned. Um, so I think they might have done research into Jonah, um, who he was, and then knowing that he was from the uh, nation of Israel, they knew who their God was. They knew his power, and, um, especially with the history that they had with Egypt and how they escaped we've seen so many times where that's been mentioned, and I think that um, the other nations around them knew about this as well.
1: Yeah, it's not um, uncommon that, you know, you read through Exodus and um, everything that the Israelites went through before entering into the promised land, Um, and even in the promised land, there's many examples of scripture when Joshua was leading them through all those war times and that the cities that they, before they even came to conquer them, they already knew about what happened to Israel back in Egypt, back in other, how they destroyed other cities, you know, when they were totally outnumbered numbered, and so forth and so on. I won't be surprised if Nineveh knew, knew something about Israel and, um, and, you know, their God, uh, because after all, Syria was in war with Israel before this time, if not during this time. So yeah, I won't be surprised if they did know something, but I think I think they probably eventually did converse with Jonah and to some degree he may maybe led them into um what they should do if if not already. But it's still interesting that the king says that everyone should turn from their evil ways. It's you know, like if I were to tell you what is evil, right? <laughs> that's that's a very, you know, dependent question on culture, on your understanding of what is and is not evil and stuff like that. So for them to turn from their evil, they have to understand that what they're doing is actually evil. And that, that was just an interesting thing for me that, you know, so many times heard or read through Jonah, you never really pay attention to these details until, you know, here we are talking about it. It's like, how, do you, how did they know what they were doing specifically was evil before God? It also mentions
2: right? violent. Um, so if we think about, you know, their con- the Assyrian conquests through the time, especially they besieged um, Israel before um We know that they were violent in such a way that they were you know always making war and they were conquering um but maybe even amongst themselves, they may have been violent as well that point points out specifically knowing that you know thou should not murder, looking at the Old Testament law and knowing what they were doing was wrong. do
1: they, you think they were ready to accept their fate being punished and destroyed, even if god didn 't spare them
2: um I think they They believed it to such an extent that they knew it was going to happen. Because if you look at verse 9, the king says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They they had hope that God may, you know, spare them, Mm -hmm. but
1: they were ready to accept their fate if it came to that. Yeah, I think
2: they believed him to the point where they they knew it was inevitable. Mm -hmm. Only by God's mercy would they be spared. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: it seems like they had the hope for relentless, for relentness. What's relent? Just learn this word, guys. Um, Abandonment of harsh punishment. So I'm going to be using the word relent a lot. Um, Just a thought going back, though. uh, How does a sinner, when he prays his prayer, it, it, it could be, it doesn't, not always is he taught his prayer. How does he know what to say? Um, to God. But kind of going back to that, when we hear um, uh, a sermon that calls to repentance, just any time you really preach Jesus, a pr- person gets touched, but he he knows he's a sinner. He knows he needs to pray. But then again, like how does he know he needs to go pray? He hears it. Oftentimes if it's in the church, you kind of hear the calling from the pulpit sometimes. Um, but eventually a person just stops and he he prays. In this prayer of repentance, but how does he you know how does he know kind of thinking back to what these how do these people know what to do if they were so godless? Well, Godless people come to God all the time. Uh, I feel like it, maybe maybe um, Jonah didn 't really have to explain to them step by step what to do. He came he said his words straight to the point, but something drove them and the reason i 'm kind of mentioning this is um going back to the question. Uh, what what is acting in the background of these conversion of these people? I think, I think God. I believe that God touched their hearts at that moment, and and Him doing that, they automatically went into kind of like and not really a panic mode, but they really went into repentance mode. They realized, hey, we need to. I don't know if it was God's fear that came into them or something, but they they knew that they needed to change, and then they right away ha- started having that hope. Um, because the reason why I say this, there's been times where uh, when I was younger, we went you know, to missionary trips to New York City, and I often thought to myself, we're standing here with this table full of Christian books, and we're kind of trying to tell people about Christ, but a lot of people are just walking by, and we are like nothing to them. So if me talking to somebody and telling them about God, what is that really going to do? other than the person pretend that he's interested and keep walking. For some reason, you know, I had these little thoughts that kind of misled me, um, that kind of made me discouraged to go talk to anybody. But this is a, one of those great examples that Jonah really didn't want to go, but he went, he said seven words that were very simple, straight to the point, And yet this panic and this uh, repentance came from these people. They, they stopped what they were doing. They right away went into change mode. And that's kind of why I was getting at that. What is behind all this? And I think, I think simply being is, um, I don't want to say God had a plan for them, but I think, I think God's word touched their hearts. And that's how they realize who they are. I think and so. And only God can do that.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that they you know obviously there's they chose to listen to to you know to take that in into their heart right they didn't just ignore it interestingly enough um i don't know if um what do you guys think do you think you could say that they were moved by the by the holy spirit or is that more of a new testament type of thing
0: i think i think they had um well i don't want to get into verse 10 Kind of touching verse 10 is we talked about where it says God repented of the evil. Relented. Or, sorry, are you reading? Yeah, verse 10, my, my KJV says God repented of the evil, but we'll talk about that word. But I think I think they, God knew, God knew obviously what's in their hearts, and that's why he sent Jonah. And all Jonah had to say was that, and they reacted that way. I, it's It's difficult to explain, but I think... I think, what was God doing with them? Why not? Why punish them either now or later, right? Because we know that hundreds-something uh, hundreds years go by and Nineveh still gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. So ultimately what happens is, is their destruction paused for the moment for them to change, or is this, that's it, they're not going to get destruction at all. I think, I think um, God kind of puts a, a pause on their destruction because they repented, because they want to change. He's giving them that time.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, something that I mentioned when we were, you know, our our brief conversation before the recording is, you know, if you were to compare this to Israel, so many times that God tells them that you will be slaves, that people, the kings will come and conquer you, and take your women, take your children, and everything, and we all know that eventually they got conquered by the Babylonians because they chose to still continue to constantly disobey God. Um, There were times when you know a lot of people died for a certain disobedience to God. But whenever they repented, we see that God relented. He gave them back their families, or he healed them, or he provided them food, or he restored their city or whatnot. But you know, ultimately, they still, even after that, they disobeyed God again and again and again, which led to their ultimate downfall and being conquered by Babylon. So, so I, think, I think it's kind of you know, very similar, interesting, you know, obviously this is before the, uh, Jonah's time is before Israelites ultimate downfall. And, you know, maybe you can kind of say that this is kind of a foreshadow of what might, you know, will eventually happen to Israel and kind of, I don't want to say a foreshadow that might be a a wrong choice of words, but, um, but it's interesting to just kind of compare and contrast how, you know, the pagans were so easily moved by Jonah's um, words, words that God told him to say. But yet when God directly spoke to the Israelites, they'll listen for a little bit, but they'll still continue to go back to their sin.
2: Um, I think it's the same thing here where they, sometimes the Israelites would repent and then um, they would still uh, go back into sin. I think it shows the fallenness of man. The same mm-hmm. thing here with the Ninevites. They repented, but then we later on learn that it was dis, uh, destroyed. Um, it's interesting. Jonah's message doesn't mention anything about any sort of, uh, further destruction. I think it's specifically to this point because it actually says, yeah, 40 days. So the prophecy and the message, um, that it wasn't necessarily, it was a prophecy, but it was also a message, right? A message from God saying, yeah, 40 days. It Um, It was
1: a conditional prophecy, right? Yeah. Seen. Well, we, The condition being the repentance of Nineveh. If they didn't repent, God would destroy it right there and then in 40 days. But if they did repent, God would spare it, at least for now.
2: Yeah, I think um, we don't see the condition, at least in Jonah's message, but we've come to understand, based on God's uh, answer to their repentance, that it was conditional. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to go back to Alex's question earlier, talking about um, whether it was from God. And I think it's because I also... Uh, After reading Jonah so many times and looking at him, I've kind of um, grown to see grown a a certain bias towards Jonah where I'm not very fond of him in this period of his life. Um, And I think uh, one thing in the New Testament that talks about um, is uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Um, verse six, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Um, so Jonah's message, um, was there to, uh, give the message. Um, but it was God who was working in their hearts, um, to, uh, have them repent. And every single one of them turned to him, at least from what we see, the majority did at least. Uh... Yeah, it's one of those moments where sometimes it's something
0: they needed to hear that at that moment. And that's what sparked it. It was it was there for a reason. And I think, for example, like I had an instance at work, um, you know, the leadership where we had an issue with one person. And then when he went in to talk to the manager, the manager had told him that he does a terrible job, that everybody thinks he does a terrible job. So he came out of there at that moment thinking, I wish somebody told me anything other than that I'm doing a terrible job. So he came out of there, you know, all disappointed. And then uh, I heard the back room discussion and I was like, hey, I don't think you're doing that terrible of a job. I think uh, people just misunderstand you. And I kind of went into detail saying, you are a really good worker. And at that moment, he was like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Uh, why I'm going to this is because sometimes um, we think that our message, you know, we're trying to plant the seed. Uh, sometimes we think, how could this person hear our message and repent like how, but it's not, it's not us. It's uh, God is the one that makes that seed grow. And at that moment, that person needed to hear about God. It's just that either his heart was ready or he was ready or whatever was going on in his life. He needed it. He needed to turn around and taking that second that we approach him and tell him about God, kind of like this, this time that um, Jonah goes to Nineveh. And at this moment, at this day, they needed to hear that. And as soon as they heard that, they knew what to do. I think it was because it was perfect, made perfect. God touched those people at that moment, and it was a perfect moment for them to do that.
2: Um, we saw the response that was recorded as far as the proclamation of the king as to what they were supposed to do. Um, one thing that also points out, too, you've mentioned this, um, but I wanted to point specifically, uh, verse 10, when God saw what they did, And then what they actually did, how they turned from their evil way. And that was a a good point. Not only did they, with their mouth, you know, uh, ask for forgiveness. They acted as well. They actually turned away from their evil ways. They ceased to do these things. Um, From that point, uh, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I
0: think we see an example of a tremendous revival. I don't know if, if i if I think about it, I mean you're talking about a nation that was so evil and a whole everybody including the king. And not only were they realized and they um they, they not only with their mouth they said that they need to change, like you said, they acted on it. They did certain things that was very different from what they would do before. Um there was a lot of a lot of movement, a lot of I need to change. And I mean, you're talking thousands of people and over over a simple message that still kind of
2: touches my mind. It's still great wonder of of, uh, how God works. I think one thing that's interesting in this story, and I've mentioned this, I think, last time talking about omission, how certain details are not mentioned within this passage. We've talked about these details already. What sin did they do? What what were they actually doing um, as far as sinning? Uh, we don't know. We know that they were evil, at least from the side of God. And judged by having an understanding of what God's law is and what he uh, expects from us, we can then grow to understand that before God, they were evil and unjust. Um, and so... But that's omitted because we don't need to necessarily know, oh, they did this, they attacked this city, oh, they did these certain evil things. The the point of the story is, I think, to highlight, you know, what's what's the point of chapter 3? I think it's um, God's mercy, as well as the whole book of Jonah, is to show how merciful and gracious God is, um, regardless of the sin, that he is willing to forgive them. And he is not only willing, but able to forgive them. Amen to that.
0: Are you guys ready for verse 10? Didn't we just go over it?
2: We Well, kind of. I just read it, but...
0: It's interesting, verse 10, you see, and God saw their works that they turned away from evil, that they turned from their evil way, and then God repented of the evil. So was it their works alone, or does this mean works as in not only the things that they did in action, but their change in their mind as well. Was it the works that saved them?
1: I think it's both. In this instance, it's both, it seems like, because it's not just, you know, them putting on sackcloth and everything, like Mark already said, it's the fact that they ceased to do those things that, they, that were evil.
2: What's interesting here is, were they um, saved as far as, would you expect them to um, have eternal life? based on this is this or, talking
0: about salvation
2: or no, or was this so. or was this relenting from his physical destruction and i i can't say you know i don't think any one of us can say no a hundred percent none of them are going to heaven no no one can say that here um but i think it's, it's also good to point out that um after the works god relented from his physical uh from their physical destruction
0: It's just another, I think it's another powerful example of God's grace towards his creation, uh, turning a whole nation, sparing a whole city from getting overthrown and giving it that more time. Um, But but I think I agree with you guys. I don't think it's solely by the actions and works that they did. I think works kind of has a greater broad meaning here. Like they, in their heart, they changed, their mind changed, and everything that they were doing changed um, because... Because we know that turn everyone from his evil way, that includes a lot of things. That, that's a lot of
1: doing. Your, your works is an extension of your heart.
0: You have f- food for thought. Um, but but it mentions here that here again. It, it says that God saw their works, and then it says that they turned from their evil way. That, those two things are kind of not only works, but it, it's, it's a... It's a not only a physical thing is what I'm trying to say, I think it's both a mental thing as well. Um, because to, to turn from evil way, you need to change. Your heart needs to change. Um, and God, God repented of the evil. Do you guys want to get into the word repented? I know different translations. You have relented in yours? Yeah. Um, when we hear the word, when we hear the word repent, uh, we hear the word that word in Genesis too, but is it the repentance that we as humans do, or is this a different repentance? Or does this word just not mean repentance as we think it?
1: Which what verse are you specifically looking verse at? Verse ten. Verse ten. Okay, I guess it it depends um, what translation you read, because you know, for example, the English Standard Version it doesn't use the word repent at all. It says when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he should do what, what uh, he said he would do, and he did not do it. So it doesn't mm-hmm. mean use the word repent. How, how does yours go?
0: Could it mean to change one's mind?
1: Are you talking about God? Where, yeah. where God relented? God,
0: God, okay, yours says God relented.
1: Mine says okay. God
0: repented. Okay, I was just
1: a little confused which, which, which specific phrase we were talking about.
0: I think, I think, think God, like you said, uh it has that relentance in it. God spared spared the city, spared the people for a greater amount of time because they turned to
2: him. Well, we know what repentance is, right? 180 degrees. Kind of exactly what the Ninevites did when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. Um And if you use that same word, God repented. If we use it in the same context, he didn't repent. He didn't turn from his evil way because God's not evil. But he turned from his initial initial intent. Um, he had an initial intent and will uh for the people if they continued in their in their sins, but they repented. And so therefore he relented. I think that was interesting because I was like thinking, man, that rhymes this kind of like a interesting rhyme. When you repent, God relents, you know. So
0: if one repents, God relents. I think that's a pretty good uh pretty good kind of overview of chapter three. I know chapter four is going to get a little bit interesting. Um, but right before we wrap up, uh, so far, I think in this book, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, this is not so much about Jonah. This is more of God's works, God's actions through Jonah, uh, through the message. And uh, this is a lot. Oh, how do you guys feel? I feel like this is a lot about God more than it is about Jonah.
1: I mean, the whole... I want you know, broadly speaking, all of scripture is all about God, right? First and foremost. We right. are we are just his tools and like Mark already mentioned several times, is this is just a very vivid and prime example of just how gracious and merciful God can be to an evil nation that he was literally ready to wipe off the face of the earth in one way or another.
0: Yeah, and I, I feel like kind of what Mark said earlier he didn't like how Jonah was acting so far. I think I think none of us none of us see Jonah as as a uh, this great prophet, this great example that we should look up to. If anything, he was um, very angry. He was uh, he had this hatred build up towards people, other people. You know, they were evil people, but he still didn't like them. And just the book, the book of Jonah. What I wanted to say is. God uses Jonah to to teach us these wonderful examples, and and yes, Scripture is that's what Scripture is, obviously. But uh, it's interesting how he uses Jonah, uh, the person that doesn't really seem like he's all that close with God until after you know he realizes he needs to go do what God wants him to go do. But I mean, we'll see in chapter four. There's another cool example that happens with Jonah that God kind of works through him to not only teach him but teach us an important lesson. But what I wanted to say is I don't think this book is much about Jonah at all. If anything, it's, it's uh, like you said, God's um, actions towards his creation. And it's, it's, it's been amazing so far. I think these three chapters
2: have taught us a lot. I think, uh, just to butt in real quick before we uh, finish off, kind of like what you said, I agree that the book is about God. I think the main purpose of the book is to show God's mercy um, first, I think, towards Jonah, and secondly, towards the Ninevites. We'll see more of that, I think, in chapter 4. Um, if you look, even just the actions of the Ninevites take five verses, and then any verses that actually mention Nineveh, there's like maybe eight or nine out of the uh, 47, or maybe a little bit more. So if you look at it, the majority of the book isn't even in about Nineveh. Um, it's the first two chapters are about Jonah's story, um, Well, the second chapter is about God, Jonah's prayer. Uh, But throughout the whole book, I think it's about God's work and mercy towards uh, Jonah and uh, the Ninevites.
0: It's a lot more than just a man and a fish.
2: I thought
1: it was all about the fish.
0: Well, thank God for this wonderful chapter we went over. And uh, Brother Serge, you want to pray at the end?
1: Sure. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you open yourself up to us through Scripture and even through a prophet like Jonah, that we can see your love and mercy and compassion towards your creation, how you are so ready to forgive anybody that is willing to repent, God. We are so thankful for that, that you give us this chance, and we pray for those that may be listening, that if they have any sin, that you touch their heart, that you give them a chance to repent, and so that they too can be with you in salvation God I thank you so much for everything that you've done for us for Jesus Christ for his death and resurrection and that through that we may have the free gift of salvation God we pray for those that still need to hear your message and that you use us for your glory and that your name be praised in everything that we do and say amen. Amen. amen